Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you. Enjoy. Hey, if you want to jump in, we're going to uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2, and Acts chapter 2 is a passage that I want to use to kick off this conversation about this idea of, a, of culture and why it's so important, because it shapes the very lives we live. And some of us are living in a toxic environment and living in unhealthy relationships because we've allowed certain cultures or allowed certain things to take place in our lives, and we've got to put an end to that. And so I'm hoping that today, as I talk about the culture that we're trying to, or I'm trying to uh, create a mosaic, I want to inspire you to change uh, you, the way you might be living, maybe even change your mind on certain things, and then be intentional on creating the culture you want to create in your life. So Acts chapter 2, let's jump right in there. And let me read this to you. It says, all the believers were together and shared everything. They shared everything. They would sell their land and things they owned and then divide the money and give it to anyone who needed it. It keeps on going. The believers, it says, the believers met together in the temple every day. They ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. They praised God and were liked by all the people. Every day, the Lord added to those who being saved uh, to the group of believers. Now, this is interesting, isn't it? Let's just, th- th- did you just hear what I read? Okay, this is like la-la land, it seems like. Like, okay, first of all, they all, they all like shared everything. Okay, 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 let's try that. Let's try that. They sell, they would sell all their stuff they own. They, divide them, the, 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 they divided the money to everyone who needed it. <laughs> what? This is not America. Hello. I mean, this is not what we do here. They, oh, this one's good. The believers met together in the temple every day. Seriously? Every day. Those of you who are watching online, you're like, Pfft. I mean, I'll, I might jump on. You, you won't even jump on. <laughs> Come on. We won't even get click the button every day to watch. The, we don't watch the same shows every day. Well, some of you do. Anyways, but... I mean, this, and then this is, they ate together in their homes, happy to share their food with joyful hearts. What is going on? Are they all high? Number one. Okay, what, what's going on here? Okay, and, or, this, or the writer is just embellishing. He's like, every day, God, you know, they, this is interesting. They praised God and they were liked by how many people? Really? Like, what kind of world is this? What's interesting about this passage is, is that it's being used a lot to talk about the method, right, the, the, the method of, or even the model of what church should be. People have kind of talked through, like, this is the kind of model, uh, this is the kind of church that uh, in America 
that should exist. Like we should all meet together. We should do this. People talked about being in groups. Um, missional communities is, is a phrase that's come about. There's a lot of conversation about that. And I feel like sometimes you've just kind of missed the point of this because this passage is not talking about this model or like the method of doing church. It's talking about something that's not necessarily like practical. He's talking about the making of a church, the culture of the church, the kind of vibe there was. He's not talking about they actually did all these things because no one actually does all these things. He's talking about a vibe. There was a vibe. Now, a vibe is when you walk into a place and there's a vibe. You can't explain it. You walked into Mosaic before you go, there's a, there's a, and you might not call it a vibe, call it a feeling, call it a whatever, whatever, whatever. You're like, ah, I, I kind of like it, don't like it. You, you know what I'm talking about. Like if you go to um, a certain church, like uh, you can walk in and there is a vibe. You go to Mosaic, there's a different kind of vibe. Let me explain it this way. I'm going to be speaking at a church in Michigan, okay? I go to that church in Michigan. There is a vibe. There's certain kind of cultural things that they do that is very different. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm going to go to Memphis, okay? Is there a difference between Michigan and Memphis? Is there a different vibe? Yes. There are two different planets, it seems like, okay? Now, I can code switch all day long, so I'm good. Okay, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, God bless. But anyways, okay, so I'm good with that. But there is a vibe. So what is a vibe? Why, so is, why is that so important? Well, there's a Greek word that actually explains vibe. It's called ethos. Can you say it with me? Ethos. Ethos is basically the spirit of, of or, the, or, the, or the things that create a certain vibe. And basically, it's the cultural things. So ethos ethos is connected to culture. So it's like the culture of, of an organization, a person, a people group. But if you go back and say, okay, how is culture created? It's created by values. So values create culture and culture creates a vibe. So if you, if you walk into a restaurant, there are certain things they think it's important. Then because of those things, there's a, they create a culture. And because of that culture, there is now a vibe you either love it or you don't love it. That's why you can walk into Mosaic and you're like, you know what? There is a vibe here. I can't put my finger on it. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you how we've uh, in, on purpose created an ethos. On purpose created a kind of a vibe, but it's connected to culture and it's connected to us going, this is the most important things that we are focused on. So let's just jump right in, okay? So the, you might have heard these before, but I gotta tell you, I wanna challenge you to go, I want you to create your own vibe at your church, at your church, at your home, or at church, because we have a vibe going on over there. I don't know if you can hear that, okay? But let's talk about the values that inform our culture and then the culture that informs our kind of ethos and mosaic. Because there are some of you, you walked into Mosaic and you're like, you know what, there's something about this place I can't, I don't know why I love it. You even watch and you're like, I don't know why I love it, but I absolutely love it. So let's jump right in. Can we do that? All right, the first one is this culture of kindness. Now we at Mosaic on purpose have created a culture of kindness. Colossians says this. It says, uh, verse three says, so, so chosen by God, for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe God picked out for you. And then it lists the wardrobe. Okay, help me out with this. Okay, what does it say? C compassion, kindness, humility, 
quiet strength and discipline. So in Colossians, Paul is talking to a church and he says, hey, God has given you this new life and he's, he's obviously bringing clothes into it. He says, this is the kind of dress you need to wear. This is the fit you need to have from, from now on as a follower of Jesus. Now, this is important because at Mosaic, what we tried to do, and honestly, as I was looking through these values, I found myself going, man, this is some stuff that we do at our house. Like, we don't have, maybe you do, but we don't have like a, a wall that says, the Fossil family, we do this, this, and this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever done, do you have that one? I've walked into some people's houses, they're like, we are the whatever, and we do this. And I'm like, wow. I've seen some people have Ten Commandments. Like, not the Ten Commandments, but ten things they do. Now, we don't run our house as an organization. If, if we did, it would be broke. I mean, like, I mean, I don't know what. It would, not be, it would not be a good organization. But we do have some things that we value. At Mosaic, I want you to know, if you ever felt like, hey, what is this thing about Mosaic? We have a culture of kindness. Kindness. And I've told people this. If you are going to be a but, and I, yes, I said but, okay? If you're going to be a but about things, Get your butt out. Like you don't, your butt's not going to last here. Okay, I know. I'm saying, saying a lot of butts right now. I'm saying a lot. Okay, okay. I'm just telling you that we have a culture of kindness. The culture of kindness is basically saying this, is that it does not fit well if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and then you're wearing stuff that doesn't make any sense. It does not, it does not compute to people. It does not compute at all. I have a friend of mine, uh, his name's Angel, he's a clothier in New York, okay? So he, he styles and he upfits, uh, upfits or dresses like celebrities, athletes, all that. And I remember being in his house once years ago and he had his a jacket on, uh, ja not jacket on, he had a jacket on a rack and he was like, that's Nick Cannon's jacket. And Nick Cannon's jacket, he's the guy from uh, America's Got Talent, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, he's got 11 kids or something or 72 kids. I'm not quite sure. He's got a lot of kids. So he was like, yeah, that's Nick Cannon's jacket. And I was like, really? Really? I said, can I put it on? <laughs> so I did try it. I did try it. It did not fit. did not fit. And, uh, but what's funny about like, uh, talking to Angel and talking about a guy who loves clothes, and he, he talks about the, 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 the importance of like, the fit, like realizing that sometimes things that just fit really well just look like they even cost a lot more than things that just don't fit well. And I just thought about that. I thought, you know what? What's interesting about it is you can communicate something so differently based on the fit. I think for some of us, we have like the right beliefs. We have our, we have, we have, we have a secure faith. Like we have a prayer life. We have all kinds of things, like all the things that, you know, you could just kind of, uh, would look great on a resume but you don't have kindness. Like you've not put on compassion, kindness, humility. You haven't done that. And I know this is because I, 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 know, I, I know that the, the big, the, the church in the U.S. has this problem. They're not wearing the right fit at all. Like we are not known for that, are we? By no means. We're known for manipulation. We're known for other things. And we can sit here and, and, man, complain about the church. But that's not what we need to do. That's not helpful. What we need to do is reclaim it. Reclaim the church back again. And it starts by saying, hey, we have a culture of kindness. It does not matter what you believe. We will not treat you 
based on what you believe. We will not treat you different. Could you imagine treating your kids different based on what they believed? You're like, I, I kind of do that. No, that's not a good idea. Don't do that. We should not treat people based on what they believe. We should treat people because of who they are. And they are, friends. They have, they're created by the one who created, created us. Like, that is so important. Like, the one thing about all of us is that we're human. We have the same struggles. We, have, we change our minds all the time. So at Mosaic, there's a culture of kindness. Let me ask you, does that exist in your house? I'll tell you what. I mean, for us, I mean, we're not great parents by any means. But man, we did not allow just being unkind. Like just being unkind. You can have opposing views. Uh, you can be passionate about them. You cannot be unkind. There will be no name-calling. Could you, wouldn't that be amazing if there was a culture of kindness in politics? First of all, we wouldn't watch it because everybody was going to be nice. There's no people throwing stuff, yelling at things. But we've allowed this. Whatever we allow, whatever we tolerate, what? We create. But we allow unkindness in our homes. We allow unkind jokes. We allow unkind talk, unkind gossip. We, could, we, we allow these things. We create those things. So friends, if you're finding yourself going, I don't like what I've created, then it starts with you going, how do I have a culture of kindness? Because friends, we want to have that. Let me give you another one. We have a culture of spiritual expectancy. Spiritual expectancy. So again, if you walked in the mosaic and you're like, ah, why do you guys do certain things? What's the vibe? What's the ethos? Again, ethos is created by culture. And culture means me have a culture of a spiritual acceptancy. And here's why. Because we value, we value God's presence in the midst of us. We value that because it is the one thing that is a game changer. Like there are so many things that you and I can figure out, but the depth of our brokenness and the depth of despair and loneliness, the depth of like, oh my gosh, I feel so ashamed and full of guilt, that kind of depth, depth can only be solved by God's presence. There is no other way. And so at Mosaic, we expect God to move in our behalf. Like we expect God to just do impossible things. We expect God to, to kind of solve things that we're like, how are we going to solve these issues? How are we going to solve this issue? I don't know. I have no idea. No idea. But man, we got to expect. Or, or what we do is we just expect bad things to happen. We expect just keep on, like, keep on the same things happening. For some of you, you've been stuck in a season. Maybe it's being single for so long. Maybe it's like you've been wrestling with this one, like, chronic, uh, maybe it's just, it just keeps on showing up in your life. And you've talked to people and you've spent so much money in therapy and you've done so many things and you're taking meds for it and all those things. And I'm saying all those things are good, but there's something more that you've got to be open to. And that is God's supernatural power in your life. You've got to be open to that. You have to be open to that. Or then besides that, nothing matters. I was speaking to a class uh, this week in Queens College, and it was, it was interesting. It was, a, it was a religious class, a religious, um, yeah, a religious class, but it was, uh, the professor was a rabbi. And um, so because of some connections and all that, she asked me to come and share 
just, you know, just share with the class. And uh, she is a rabbi in Charlotte. She was one of the major rabbis in Charlotte. Now she's in academics as well. And uh, as I was sitting there looking at these students talking about this, and I just was like trying to, you know, we were talking about religion and debating about it a little bit and all that. And then I just get to, got to a point where I'm like, you know what, the truth is, is that I can't really explain everything that to you because it's all centered around this one supernatural experience that I had one night. And I just left it at that. And the class was like, okay. And then one, one kid was like, what was it? <laughs> and I was like, uh, and then I looked at the rabbi. I was like, and she was like, go ahead. And so I just told her the story of just meeting Jesus supernaturally. And friends, I got to tell you something. As I was telling the story in this class, I felt like an idiot. I really did. I felt like this is the dumbest thing you're telling these people. Like, you know why? Because it doesn't what? Doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense. So I just told them, hey, this is not going to make sense. And most of you are not going to believe this. But this is my story. See, friends, if we eliminate that kind of expectancy in our human experience, we lose everything. We lose everything. And so in the midst of you being a follower of Jesus, have you, do you expect God to do supernatural things? Or has disappointment drowned your expectancy? Has it killed it? And I, won't, I don't blame you if it has, because we've gone through several pretty intense years. But let's not, let's not get that out of our culture. Let's not... Let's not Let's not forget that it's really what's more important than anything else is God's supernatural presence in our life. I mean, look at what these guys did in Acts. It says here, this is the, the disciples who are like trying to figure this out. This is, this is uh, right after Jesus left and they're getting persecuted and all these things are happening. Things are not going uh, their way. They just were imprisoned. They were threatened and all these things. And they come together and this is what they're praying. This is how they pray. Okay. They pray in Acts 4. It says, now, Lord, listen to their threats. Lord, help us, your servants, to speak your word without what? Fear. Show us your power to heal. Give proof and make miracles happen by the power of Jesus, your holy servant. After they had prayed this, the, they, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke God's word without fear. Friends, uh, I mean, if without the power of God working in our lives, without me believing that you can have a moment, a supernatural moment one night or one day, without me believing this, then all of this is just information. It's all information. It's just me talking. And so we value that. We have a culture. Hey, God can do anything. And sometimes he does miraculous things. And sometimes he just does the minimum amount of things. But it leads to bigger things. All right, let me give you the third one. Third one is this idea of purposeful excellence. Like we have, as a church, we do this. And you know what's funny about this? Is that you're like, okay, name, this is great for your church uh, organizations, but how does it affect my life? Like I've got roommates here. Let's, I want to sit down and talk to them about purposeful excellence. Like how, how, what does that mean? Now this 
this definition makes sense in like in the corporate world in a sense or an organization as you're leading a team. But let me tell you why this is so important. Why this is so important is this, this is about your attitude or our attitude when we work or when we live together. We work or live together. See, there is this idea, like for some of us, that, we, that says basically we do the bare minimum and we just get by. And you understand, and I understand that there's times where like, you know, there are times where we're like, you know what, we're just going to do the bare minimum and that's it. And then there are times where like, you know what, we got to do our best. Now, if you are ever been a leader of any kind, like leading a team or uh, leading a company or leading any kind, any leadership role, or if you've been a parent at any point in your life, do you, re do you want your kids or your people that you lead do the bare minimum or do their best? You want them to do their best, to do their best. And I think for some of us, for some of us, if we don't make this a value in our lives, if we don't make this a value in our, uh, in our parenting, if we don't make this a value in our culture that we create, then what we basically do is, hey, hey, you know what? It's just good enough. It's just good enough. It's good enough. You know why it's good enough? Because this world is as good as it gets. It's connected to the fact that you're not really expecting miraculous, miraculous things to happen. But if we go, okay, this has got to be, no, we got to do our best, then, then this idea of like purposeful excellence comes into play. And see, this is what's interesting about this. This is connected to grace, my friends. It is. Galatians 5.13 says this, okay? It is absolutely clear that God has called you to live a what kind of life? A what kind of life? A free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do, to do whatever you want to do and destroy your what? Freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. Now, in other translations, this word freedom is talking about the word grace. And I want you to know something. When God just gives you grace, and I think some other religions just get this wrong, and even some people get this wrong, when God's grace is given to us, it is not a permission for us to do less. It is the power to be more. Grace is the power for you to be more than you are right now. It is not permission to do whatever you want to do. And so what that means is that when it comes to work, when it comes to the season of your life, you can either call it in or you can do your best. We can actually either have a church that we just either basically just do, you know, do whatever we can or we can do our best. And so friends, if you create people, like in a sense, if you create culture, and like as a parent, I think, man, I want to instill that in my family. I want to instill that in my kids. I don't want to be a guy who just says, yeah, I'll just call it in. I'll just call it in. Because no one wants to hire people like that. No one wants to be like that. As a spouse, I don't want to just call it in. I want to be the best. I'm not going to be perfect by any means, but I can be the best. I can do my best. I can do that. Friends, that is a huge value. If you don't think that's important, then and if you find yourself in an organization, you find yourself in a place where you're like, you know, why are people not just doing their work? You know why? Because they don't think that's a value. They don't think it's a value. They think that we just call it in. We could just do the bare what? The bare what? Minimum, and that's okay. And that's all we need to do. But that is not 
what God has called us to do. He said, hey, I'm giving you this freedom. I'm giving you this permission to do not less, but to be more when it comes to this. All right, last one. Last one is this, um, this, this value of compassionate generosity. Compassionate generosity. What does that mean? Well, uh, well, it means what it means. It means exactly what it means. Compassionately generous people that are not just moved by something, but they get up and do something. I'll tell you what, the proudest moments in my life as a parent, and going back to just being a parent, the proudest moments is not when, like, my kids have won an award. I mean, the proudest moments in my life is when my kids are generous. I don't know why. I just feel like when they see a need and they meet a need. They see a need and they meet a need. Man, the other day, I got to just brag on my kid here. My, my mom, I'm talking to my mom, and my mom... Um, tells me a story about my, my son, Asher, who, um, who talked to her during the holidays and just basically comforted her because the holidays bring up the memory of my dad passing away. And he just hugged her and says, hey, I, I miss him too. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think I'm the best parent there is. <laughs> I'm like, this, what? Are you kidding me right now? What, how, how did this happen? How did this happen? I think there's a value to like, hey, when there's a need, you meet it. You figure it out. You just do it. It's, it's, it's compassionate generosity. Do we live with that kind of, of, of um, do, do we live that kind of life? Do we? A life that says, hey, we're going to be that kind of people. See, Proverbs 11 says this. It says, the, wor the word, I'm sorry, the world of the generous gets, help me out, gets what? Larger and what? Okay, let's say it one more time. The, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets what? Smaller and smaller. Anyone who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. I think this is fascinating because this goes against cultural norms. Cultural norms is that you get what's coming to you. You get what is yours and you go after what is yours. You get it before the other person gets it. This works in traffic. We all understand parking spaces are scarce everywhere you go. You just go get them. You get after it. How, how many have ever like walked, driven by looking for a car space, passed one, you see someone, you're like, you take this one, I'll find someone else. That is unheard of. Okay, I mean, some people do it. Okay, you're Jesus. Okay, whatever. But it's unheard of. Why? Because we are hardwired to think because we live in a culture of this world that says, listen, success is scarce. Significance is scarce. Parking spots are scarce. Everything in your life that is good is what? Scarce. So get it before someone else gets it. And this is the opposite of the way of Jesus. The opposite of the way of Jesus. In him, it's like there is no scarcity. 
You've got abundance, abundance, abundance. You do. Would you live that kind of way? Would you, that, that success, that just because the, someone else is successful, it's not like you're not going to be successful. Just because someone else or so many people in your life are getting married, you're like, I'm never going to get married. Like, it's not like they're, they're all gone. Like, the, the options are all gone. The, the, the opportunities are all gone. It does not work that way. And I think, friends, I think for so long, some of us, if you live that kind of life, you just act that way. I remember the first time I walked into a buffet. I grew up in the Middle East, in Kuwait, came here when I was 19. The first buffet I went to was Ryan's, I believe it was Ryan's uh, Steakhouse, Right? Those things don't exist anymore, by the way. I tried to find one, but it, it doesn't exist anymore. Maybe there's one. I don't know. It's right next to a Blockbuster, but that's about it. But, okay. but man, I went to Ryan's. I'll tell you what. They were like, hey, this is a buffet. I'm like, what's a buffet? It says Buffett. I know it says Buffett. But anyways, they're like, this is a buffet, which means is, you know what it means. I remember the first time I went and made my plate. I piled that thing on so much. And I walked back to the, the, the table, and the guys there were... They were like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm getting all my stuff. Like, you can go back. I'm like, that's a lie. I don't think you know this, but they're just saying that, but that's not true. You can't go back. They're like, you can go back. I'm like, nope, nope, no, no, nope, you can't go back. I, I had to train myself. I can go back. They're not going to run out. It's a buffet. I lived in such a scarcity mentality for so long, a culture that says there's only a few left. There's only, a, there's only some. So don't be generous. Friends, if you lived your life like that, there's only so much amount of time, there's so much amount of money, so much amount of relational capital you have, so much of this, so much of this, and you can't give it away. But here it says, if you live a life holding on to things, thinking it's all scarce, your world gets what? Smaller. If you give your life away, it gets what? Larger. So friends, as we close today, what are some things that are challenging you to reconsider the, the culture you've created? I remember talking to a pastor like several years ago. And he was talking about the church, that he stopped pastoring and all that. And I was telling him, you know, asking him why, what's going on. And he said this. He said this. I'll never forget it. He said, I looked around one day and I said to myself, I hate what I've created. I was like, what? He was like, I hated what I created. He said, I don't even know how I did it. I created the worst kind of environment, the worst kind of culture that basically fired me. And I was like, wow. I think that for some of us, if you're disappointed in your life, if you're disappointed in the kind of life you live, it's connected to what you've tolerated and what you've allowed yourself to create. The good news is you can change that and we can move towards like, really going, oh God, what is really important to me and how I'm going to change. So let's do that. Can we do that? Let's stand together. Let's stand together. Right. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. Lord God, I thank you uh, for our lives. I thank you for the kind of lives we are living right now. But I thank you for the opportunity we have to create something that is new. God, I pray that today would be very much a reminder that some of us need to not just pray about what we're 
uh, facing, we need to, in fact, we need to, in fact, move towards understanding that we, we really, we really truly have to create what we want to live into. So Father, I just pray, I pray God, that you would move us and allow us to do that. Allow us to know, God, what is really important to us. Allow us to have the conversations that we need to have. And God, move us to saying, God, we get to create these things. God, allow us to be people who are living intentional lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.